0: Once a year, I go to a restaurant in town called the Red Lobster. The only reason I go is because we have someone very special on our staff, that being Pastor Joby, who loves Red Lobster. And we take the time to celebrate one another's birthdays, and so we hop into the golden van and... We go to the restaurant of choice. I believe he chooses Red Lobster because of the shrimp scampi. He loves it. Not only that, I think we have somebody else on our staff who likes going there too. He says he doesn't go there very often, but when we get there, all the waitresses pretty much know his name. I will not say his name in here, but he really loves old people. He really does. We go, we sit around the table, and I have to admit, it's, it's hard for me to pretend like that bread is not good, and garlic and cheese, and yeah, I know you can make it at home now these days, but still, there's something about going to that restaurant, and everybody comes around the table, and the bread gets placed upon the table, and everybody's not shy. You just reach out, you grab one, you begin to eat, you grab another, you get two, and you know you want three, and there's only one left in the basket. And everybody's doing that polite gesture like, hey, you go ahead, you go ahead. You wanna split it and inside you're going, no, I don't wanna split it. I want number three, please. And I want the bread, I want it all. But there's something about bread that brings us together in fellowship. Uh, That bread there is fulfilling. It is satisfying. It is good, but it runs out. You have that bread you're gonna want more later. And that's what's happening here, not with Red Lobster Bread, of course, but with the men and women and children who have spent time with Jesus. It says here they were seeking Jesus. Why? Because the day before, they all many miracles, one great miracle at the end of the day, where Jesus takes bread and multiplies the bread and the fish, and, and they have all they can eat, seafood feast. And then there's 12 baskets left over, one for each disciple. Now, they see this and they go, we want to follow this man. Where is he? They wake up the next day and they go, where's Jesus? You know, his disciples went across. They have no idea what happened on the sea the night before that storm that Jesus sent his disciples into and Jesus walking on the water. They missed all of that. They just want the man who gave them plenty of bread. And so they begin to seek Jesus. We, we would think this is good, right? That they're seeking Jesus. In any time, we would hear somebody say that they love Jesus or that they're seeking Jesus or they want to follow Jesus, that automatically that's good. But there are many people who seek Jesus with the wrong motives. May that not be us, but it could easily be us today. I'm thankful for this passage of Scripture that may bring it to light. It may bring it to the surface of a false motive for seeking Jesus this past week or in this period of our lives. Verse 25 and 26, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? I love this. He doesn't answer their question. They have a question for him and he has an answer that's going to go straight to their hearts. Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. You're not even coming to me because of all the signs that I did. You just like that bread and you enjoyed it. And you're thinking, hey, I can just provide this for you every day. They're thinking if Jesus is a true king, surely he would operate the same as every other earthly king and leader. For there in Rome, it was common for people to be fed plenty of food in order to pacify the people so that they would support the king, the emperor, the ruler. It was also common for people to gather together And listen to famous speakers for leisure or entertainment with no intention to change. They just enjoyed hearing someone's thoughts, something new. And this was something new for all of them. So it is safe to say that this was a feeble attempt at a controlled Christology. Have you ever heard that term before? Controlled Christology. Christology. What does that mean? They were willing to follow Christ only if it was convenient to their needs and interest. I think we see this controlled Christology in our land today. Many people going after Christ until it's no longer convenient for them. This is not a God-honoring motive for seeking Jesus. We were just reminded last week when Jesus sent his disciples into the teeth of a ferocious storm that there are gonna be many moments in following Christ that are not convenient. It's not how we would write it out. It's not the things that we would want to go through, but God has a purpose in putting us through trials and difficulties, storms, being in a point where we have no control, but to trust fully in Christ so that we would center our life on Jesus. This crowd wanted to follow Jesus, but would only worship him if it was convenient for their every need. Why are you following Jesus? Is it because it's convenient right now? Have you ever thought, what if it's no longer convenient to love Jesus when I still wholeheartedly follow him? They wanted a political Messiah who would bring political liberation, not liberation from sin. See, if they wanted liberation from sin, then they were gonna have to give up something. And they were in bondage to materialism. They saw it, they wanted it, they depended upon it. What good would it be if Jesus were to come and wipe out all external enemies when the greatest enemy is internal? The greatest enemy that we face is within us. It's an enemy that we've had from the time we took our first breath. When we came into this world, it is our flesh, Our flesh, which desires glory to be satisfied, that everything would be centered around our flesh, our point of view. I had no idea how self-centered I was and how narrow my point of view was until I came to college. And I realized that growing up in my home, everything when I viewed life was through the lens of my parents, through my own upbringing. And yet, that's where we see our conflicts. When the way that we see life comes into conflict with one another. Or how about when the way we see life conflicts with Jesus? And these people do not understand who Jesus is. They're in conflict. Our flesh is deceiving Convincing us that there is no threat within us leading to destruction. It's Peter who followed closely by Jesus' side who would say, I would never deny you. But yet, we know that he would deny Jesus not just one time, three times. He had not come to the realization of just how wretched he really was, how off-centered his worship really was. This crowd around Jesus has not come to the realization, and neither do they understand their great need for Jesus. The question I have for you, have you come to the realization of your great need for Jesus? Have you come to the realization that deep down, the real you is wretched, is pitiful, poor? Have you come to that realization? That realization is not gonna be grasped in this culture. This culture in which we live in fights hard against that realization. To say, no, 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 no. We are a people who are most capable who are most good. I I still have people come up to me from this local church who would say, Brian, you really believe that people are not good? Absolutely, I believe that. The Bible reveals it to us. Man, at his core, is not good. But Jesus is. Man was good at his core. Would there be a need for Jesus? Jesus. If man could meet God halfway, would there really be a need for Jesus? I think we grow in our appreciation for the gospel when we realize that we have no hope without the grace of God. These people come to Jesus not relying upon grace and their need for a true Messiah to save them of their sins, they come to Jesus because, well, their bellies are empty and they want to be filled once again. Jesus didn't come to fill their bellies. He came to fill their hearts. And there are many times that our bellies are going to be empty, but the question is, what about your heart? What about your heart? Verse 27 and following. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him God the Father has set his seal. What is this bread from heaven? This is the question before us today. What is this bread from heaven? Well, one, this bread is eternal. Saving man and woman from their temporal materialism, which fades away and perishes in the end. We can give each other bread, we can comfort one another, we can be there for one another, but none of us can provide for each other what Christ provides for us, that which is indeed eternal. But not only is this bread eternal, this bread is sealed by the Father. Which means it's authorized by the Father. That's what these people gathered around Jesus needed to understand that Jesus was coming by way of the Father. Jesus is the true bread from heaven. We see this sealing by the Father taking place in John chapter 1, 32 and 33, when the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus. God the Father has set his seal upon the Son, verifying, saying it is good, this work in which he has come to do. Man's response to the bread from heaven is this. He asks a question, what must we do to be doing the works of God? So that doesn't sound like such a bad question, but if we look at it closely, what must we do? Now I know what we do with scripture, I know what we do with moments like this. We we see the passage and say, but Brian, they didn't understand exactly. But let us put it in its proper perspective. God in the flesh is standing before them, has done many miracles before their eyes already, and they're still asking the question what, what must we do? Man's done enough. Man's done too much, which has led to ruin, led to sin being passed on from one person to the next. Man can do nothing. It is all in what Jesus must do. It's not our own work. It's the work of the Father. It's to believe in the work of grace, the work that rescues us from the emptiness of life. First, the people must understand that they are empty. Will everyone in the room just say, empty? Man, have you felt empty lately? You think, man, if I just fill my life with more things, if I just busy my schedule, I won't feel so empty? You ever find yourself running in vain asking this question what's the purpose? What is the point? What am I going to do with my life? Empty. We must all recognize that we are empty. We have hunger pains, not just physical hunger pains, but spiritual hunger pains. We have something deep down within us that's shouting out more. <laughs> it's it's got to be more than this. And there is. There is. It's only found in one. It's found in Jesus. But we must recognize that what can we do? The only thing we can do is bring our sin and place it before the Savior and say, please take my sin. That's all we have to offer. They were seeking not the heavenly and permanent, but the earthly and perishable. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see And believe you, what work do you perform? What work? Can you imagine this scene? Jesus is being asked this question. What work could you perform that will enable us to believe? That's where we revisit this whole, if God would just show himself idea. God would just come into my life and reveal then I would believe. And yet God has been so gracious and so kind to provide us many examples in the Bible where that never works. And that reveals our hearts, does it not? That God could show himself in the flesh and that he could work miracles like this. And yet you come back the next day and say, well, what else you got? Come on, Jesus, dance for us. You gotta have more. Have they already forgotten what happened the day before? No. It's just the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 was not seen as a better work than what Moses did. Wow. They're reflecting back to the wilderness and thinking that Moses indeed was some type of savior. When it was God who provided Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus cuts them off right there. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. They're blind. They're blind. They're recounting history. And the one who was involved in providing all of it is standing before them and they can't see him. We can't emphasize this enough in the book of John. Man does not recognize Jesus when he is standing in his flesh. They're saying, Jesus, you have not done enough. But would Jesus ever be able to do enough for the crowd? Maybe you've put that before Jesus recently, before God. You need to do more, God. I need you to come through for me, God. Why does God have to come through for us? Hasn't God already done enough? Hasn't he provided everything we would ever need? But yet we even as Christians would say, God, I need you to do more. If I'm going to believe. This is sinful man's response when left to his own thoughts about Christ. What more you got, Jesus? Jesus. What more do you got? Their response is an echo of their past ancestors. They say, hey, Moses, he did a great work. You want to kind of compete with Moses so we can believe what you got? But yet they sound just like their ancestors. Numbers 11, four through six. Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. All we have is this manna. You brought us out to the wilderness, the desert, and we have this manna falling from heaven every day, six days a week. Yeah, we're pretty tired of it. We remember going back into Egypt. We had some free meat, man. It was good. Is this all you have, God? And yet, centuries later, different people, same heart. What more do you have? The word manna, we, we hear manna, we think bread, but the word manna actually means what is it? What is it? As it appeared on the ground, first time the people saw it, Israel, they, they asked that question. What is it? So they called it, what is it? Like the candy bar. What you going call it? What are you eating? Huh? What you going call it? What you eating? What you going call it? That's what they ate. They didn't even have a name for it. And now they're looking at the true bread from heaven and they're saying, what is it? What you call it? Who are you? What more do you have? We need you to do more. For the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. This is how Jesus responds. This is what I've come to do. I've come to bring life. And so, what is this bread from heaven? Let me give you three things. The bread from heaven provides one fellowship. Christ, our King, brings us together in fellowship, which means he brings us together. We have a place to belong. I think it's the student ministry has a slogan, you belong here. And As you're all wearing your shirts and you're gathered together, there's a sense of belonging but yet, as the family of God, he brings us together around the bread of life. We break bread. Jesus' broken body brings together a broken people to have fellowship, to enjoy him forever. We gather together as the family of God under the banner of Christ Jesus. No longer Are we enemies of Christ, but we are children of God. Do you ever wake up in the morning and praise God that you're no longer an enemy, but a child of his? You ever lay your head on the pillow at night and praise God that you're no longer an enemy of his? But a child. Christ did this good work on the cross as he was beaten and his blood poured out so that we as the church could be covered underneath the blood of Jesus Christ and we could come together around Jesus. We come together as the church in fellowship. We hear this word fellowship, it's kind of old school thought. In Baptist life, most especially, you hear fellowship, you think casseroles, nothing wrong with casseroles. Last week, we had sweet Sunday school groups that provided meals for our students. They were getting ready to go to camp. Y'all enjoyed that, right? Pretty good. Yeah. And uh, I walked into the kitchen, and there were three different pans of mac and cheese. I thought, man, this is good. And they said, hey, we want you to taste all three. And I said, oh, okay, I guess I will. You know, try all three. And I could say, I know what that one is. I like that one. They say, which one do you like? I like all three. Man, we we like our casseroles. We like food. I mean, when we hear fellowship, we think food. But yet it's not an old-timey word that should be lost and thrown aside. Because when we come together in fellowship, we are eating of the eternal bread from heaven that lasts forever. Think about your greatest struggles. Your greatest longings, your greatest needs, your greatest disappointment. Maybe right now where you are, you're extremely disappointed in somebody or something that's happened in your life. You're fighting for joy, but you're not experiencing it. But yet you can still feast upon the eternal bread. So that while we are here on this present earth, where we experience hunger pains and we long for that which is good where there will never be sickness again where there will never be death to experience again where there will never be broken relationships again this we have in Christ and we have this hope right now and it encourages us it pushes us on to continue running until the end Because when there's an end, there's only then from there a beginning for all of eternity in which we will enjoy Christ forever. This is our great hope. This is why we gather together. This is our purpose in gathering together. It is because of Jesus. Can I give you a simple challenge? In your homes, in your friendships, in your community groups, will you mention the name of Jesus? Will you break through the barrier, whatever it may be? Listen, I understand the barrier in these parts. We're comfortable with church. We're comfortable with saying we're Christians, but many times we're not comfortable with carrying on a long conversation about Jesus. Let's break through that barrier and let us feast on Christ. Let us fellowship around Jesus. Let us have more conversations where Jesus is in the middle can we do that? I put that challenge before you. Speak the name of Jesus. Not only do we have fellowship, a place to belong, where we used to not belong, because we couldn't just walk up to the table and sit with Christ because we were enemies. But yet Christ took on the wrath of God in our place so that we could freely come and sit. So we have fellowship, a place to belong. But number two, we have sustenance. This bread fulfills all of our hunger. It fuels us for obedience. In Christ, we find our righteousness. And through Christ, we have been given the commands to obey, the ability to obey. We look at our children and we go, wow, we raised them the same, but they're all different. And yet all of them Possess the same type of flesh that disables them from being able to obey God. That's hard, isn't it? When we love our precious little ones and we're looking to them and they're precious to us. But yet they have a flesh that disobeys. All they know to do is disobey but yet we pray God's grace upon them. We share the gospel with them that they would receive the good news of Jesus Christ and be filled. Because here's what the bread of life will do for us. It drives out our complaining and our ungratefulness. He tells the people they must believe, not work, believe. And yet we as Christians must continue to believe. Believe until the very end. The end of what? This life. Knowing that Christ is coming back, knowing that our bodies will be raised from the dead and reunited with our souls and we will be in a glorified state before a glorious king and there we will reign with him forever. We must believe. We must not stop believing That's why we have such great examples before us. Peter and John and Paul. Peter hung upside down. Uh, Paul beheaded. John, they tried to kill, had to put him on an island all by himself. How did they respond? Peter preached with boldness as he suffered for Christ. John savored in the love of God as he suffered for Christ. And Paul boasted in his suffering as he suffered for Christ. What's our response? What is our response as we live here on this earth? And he sustains us. He fulfills this hunger that we have for eternity, something that will last, something that will truly fill us. We respond with boldness. We savor in the love of God. We boast in our sufferings because we know that number three, this eternal bread, not only does it bring fellowship and sustenance, but it satisfies. Satisfaction. It satisfies all of our deepest longings. It is good. It is good. Not only do we talk about Jesus because that's what we must do, we talk about Jesus because that's what we want to do. What these people longed for, the earthly and temporary, would never be enough. Only Christ provides for our every need. And here's the beauty of this. The eternal bread is, satisfies and it sustains and it brings into fellowship every class of sinners, whether it's rich or poor, the cultured or the illiterate. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Think about physical bread for a moment. When you place bread at a table, you can place it before kings And you can place it before peasants, before a man, and before a woman, before a Jew, and before a Greek. Now, there may be disagreements there over meat, but not over bread. All of these people can come together around bread. All of us can come together around Christ it is christ that we feast upon John 6:35 Whoever comes to me shall not hunger whoever believes in me shall never thirst So what's the response They said to him, "Sir, give us this bread always" Now if we stopped right there we could say maybe there was a hope for these people based on that response. Oh, they get it. They understand. But it was only under their conditions. Because many of these people who are now following Jesus and listening to his words, they will get to a point where they hear enough. Here's what they do. They walk away. John 6, 66. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. I'm really careful with numbers, numerology, and trying to press something that may or may not be there, but isn't it interesting, this number, and yet this is the response of man. They turned back and no longer walked with him. This is evidence for us today that if we operate based on our flesh and not the grace of God, Jesus will never be enough. But yet, the grace of God is upon our lives, and we come to a point where we recognize we are empty and all we have to offer to God is our sin. There, we can repent and trust in Christ and feast upon him for all of eternity. The question is this, do you recognize this bread from heaven? And if you do, will you feast upon this bread? as we come to our time of communion. I want to remind you that what is before us is a beautiful picture. It's a sobering reminder of what Christ did for us, that he alone was perfect in the flesh and that he was the only one who could go to the cross and pour out his blood for us. So if you receive communion today, you are affirming, you are amening, you are saying, yes, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. And I know that the only reason that I can eat of this meal today is because of Jesus. He alone makes me worthy. His righteousness placed upon me makes me worthy. Would you receive this meal today with gladness and with joy, with joy but then also looking back and remembering There must be a soberness to this time as well that as we examine our lives that Jesus made all of this possible for us. This simplicity of the gospel, may it never be forgotten, how much we need Jesus, keeping Jesus at the center of our fellowship. So when we come together today, we're coming together in fellowship as followers of Christ. If you're here today and you're not a follower of Christ, it means you're not within the fellowship doesn't mean that we're all better than you. It means that we're trusting in Jesus today. Your greatest need is not to receive this meal. In fact, I'm going to lovingly at this time tell you, please do not because you cannot come in a worthy manner to receive communion without Jesus. No apologies there. I say that in love and I want the best for you. We want the best for you. The best for you is to follow Jesus. Would you please look to him today? Place your faith and trust in Christ, recognizing what he did for you on the cross. For the children who are in this room, parents, this is an opportunity. If they have not made the good confession to follow Jesus, teach them. They may be begging you to have that little cracker and a sip of that cup, but remind them why you're receiving communion, always make this a teaching time for them. But yet we come together in fellowship in Christ Jesus. Also remember that as we come together around this table, that this food sustains us. Christ sustains us for all of eternity. Whatever you may be struggling with, your hope can be found in Christ. Not only that, but it's satisfying. There's true joy in following Christ. What would a world that rejects Jesus know about the true satisfying bread whom they've never tasted Those who have tasted and seen rejoice. May there be rejoicing that follows this meal. May there be rejoicing in the midst of this meal because he loves us and he's brought us to the table. So let us bow our heads and pray. I'd ask that our men who are going to be serving, if they will go ahead and grab the trays. As I pray for us, we're going to pray God's blessings over this time together then once the bread and cup are passed out and a reminder they'll be passed out together, one stacked upon another, just want to make you aware of that, you receive that if indeed you know that you are worthy in Christ Jesus. Let us pray. Father, thank you that you did not allow a people To push you around and to manipulate the very purpose for which you came. Boldly declared the truth because you are the truth. You came to do the will of the Father and you accomplished that work when you said it is finished on the cross. But Father, it was not finished there because we know that Christ Jesus rose from the grave and we thank you. Not only did he rise from the grave as the firstborn among the dead, we have hope that we too will rise and that we will be united with Christ as he returns. So we come to this table today with hearts filled with hope a hope that does not disappoint. We ask now, Lord, your blessings as we receive this meal. To you be the glory and the honor and the praise. In Jesus' name, amen.